I will be reading Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of, this, by the, power of the Holy Spirit. Open your Bibles, church, please, to uh, John chapter 14. Gospel of John chapter 14. We'll be making our way there in a few moments. Before we get launched, let's bow and pray for not only our church, but also the other churches in the area. Lord, thank you for being our strength. We have felt your mercy and your grace surrounding us today. And our hearts couldn't help but sing. Um, Father, we realize we're not the only disciples doing this this morning. That all across this county and this country and even around the globe, disciples everywhere are lifting up your name. The name above all names. To celebrate the event of all events the crucifixion of your son and the resurrection of that son to eternal life. Father, we remember that in the, in the meal that we just shared, but we remember it also um, in the lives that we, we want to live. So please equip us with that, and we realize your word does a big part of that. Please bless the Salvation Army Church, particularly this morning, as they also uh, bring your word and hopefully instill uh, in their, their brothers and sisters, as well as we are trying in ours, a heart for oneness that every disciple might be brought together and the world might believe that truly you did send your son. You promised that it would, and we are expecting you to do that. In Christ's precious name, and everyone said. All right. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, the sign that's behind me and also the slide that's on the screen uh, may leave you wondering if we are sponsored by Home Depot. <laughs> the answer is no, we're not. But we do share a common agenda with them. You see, we both exist to assist people in the building of their homes. For some, that involves light repairs. For others, that involves a serious makeover. And for some, that involves literally building from the ground floor up. But both Home Depot and the Kerrville Church of Christ take families right where they are. And we try to do our best to resource them to get where they hope to be. KCC, say amen. That's our goal. Now, it is not a concern of mine that you shop at Home Depot. Now, it's a good store. Uh, the sportsmen buy a lot of stuff from them. But my concern really is that you frequent this church, that you buy into the mission of this church to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus Christ, that that's a foundation of who we are by loving God, loving each other, and then living life to the full. I really do hope that you buy into that. And I want you to understand this Christian is a faithful, faithful customer of the church. Has been since he was 11 years old. And I am a satisfied customer of all that God has done in my life. Absolute, I cannot imagine my life without Jesus Christ. The joy that we sung of today has been alive in my heart. Thank you, Ray Hughes, who in a middle school class introduced me to Jesus Christ when he was teaching me Bible from the book of John that we're going to be looking at a little bit later this morning. But yay, God. His joy is real. His joy is alive. And we have come to talk about that today. We hit pause button on the sermon series that we're in right now. We had a mission emphasis weekend. We also had an Easter weekend that we were part of. And now we're back on today in this next segment of the Home Depot series. And I just want to remind you that as I speak about anything having to do with the subject of parenting, I do that as a ragamuffin just like you. No experts here. None at all. I too wished I could have been the kind of parent that I'm pointing us to, all right? Some of these things were a part of our lives, and we did them okay. 
But I can guarantee you there's aspects of everything we've talked about that we could have done much, much better. There is no job, I believe with all my heart, that is more demanding and yet more rewarding than being a parent. Mom and Dad, say amen. All right. Now, if you ask me, but what are some of the essentials that you see, Jimmy, in a Christian home? I would tell you they're very similar to building a custom house. If you've been with us at all, you've seen this picture throughout this series. It's the picture of the foundation of literally our custom house that we built in Rudos, New Mexico. We've only built one, and that's the side of it. And in just a few minutes, you're actually going to get to see today, for the first time, you had not seen this picture yet, it absolutely completed, absolutely finished. But before we get there, I want to point you back to this foundation, the significance of it in a custom house and in a Christian home. Man, we spent a lot of time laying that foundation. And i got to tell you, we spent a lot of time getting prepared to lay a foundation for the kids that we had come into our home. Because parents, job one of parenting is not to get your kids to be obedient or respectful. I know we'd all like to have that. But job one for every parent is to teach your kids they are loved unconditionally. That they are loved and accepted regardless of how they perform or behave. And you say, well, Jimmy, where'd you get that idea? And I just simply say, from God. Not just the scriptures about God, but I mean from God, from our Heavenly Father and how He parents us. Because He tells us from the very beginning, in order for us to have a relationship with Him, We've got to trust in the fact that through the cross, God has unconditionally loved us. That Jesus didn't save us because of our behavior. No, he saved us in spite of our behavior. When we were at our absolute worst, Paul says in Corinthians, that he gave us heaven's best. And in order for you to have a relationship with him at all, it is founded on you accepting, I am loved no matter how I behave or how I perform. God just loves me. And he demonstrates that at the cross. And that's a foundation Jesus insists on every Christian home. That our children understand from the ground floor up that I could never love you more. And I could never love you less regardless of how you happen to perform. Now I know that that's one of the things that we kind of hear and we go, yeah, I know that's necessary. No, it's vital. Just like that foundation is vital for a house to stand on it and withstand the rains and the storms and the stuff that goes on inside it. It's got to have a great foundation. There's only one foundation that you can build a Christian home on, and that is unconditional grace. Number two, you've got to have a loving, capable contractor. For a custom house as well as a Christian home, you've got to have a great foundation, but you've got to have a great contractor. And in Christ, that would be a loving, capable contractor. Now, the picture that you see up there is Gail. You know that. Those of you who've been a part of this series know that she was the general contractor on our job. And there were a lot of subcontractors and volunteers and family that came on that job site. But her goal was not to be the BFF of everybody who came on that job site. Now, her goal was to get that house built and get it built well. And sometimes that meant she had to lead in such a way, it didn't feel like she was our BFF, all right? That's all right. And Christian parents, we're going to feel the same way, I promise you. Because strong kids are going to require strong leadership, and sometimes that means you're not going to be your child's BFF. You're not going to get to be the cool parent. You're going to sometimes be that person they think is the last person they really want parenting them in their lives. Isn't that the way it is with God? Sure it is. And that's exactly where this example comes from. God very much 
leads us and loves us like he hoped we would do that with even his son when he came. See, just because you're leader doesn't mean you get to be the jerk or the jerkette, whichever one fits you well. Jesus says to every single one of us, here's how I want you to treat people like you would want to be treated. Now, that's not just a golden rule for how you influence and treat other people. It's got to be especially in the home. So if you're going to lead, you lead like you would want to be led. And that's crucial to building a Christian home. But here's a third thing. Help develop a framework for wise choices. Now, just as the insides of that house have to be strong in order for the outsides to last and to have any benefit at all to those who live inside it, the same thing is true of a Christian home. You've got to have some foundational stuff and some framework, especially when it comes to making wise choices. That's what your kids are going to be doing all their lives. Now, 24 of you took my advice and said, please sign up out there and get a chance to hear what Jim Fay has to say about helping you train your kids up to make wise choices. Now, I've pointed you towards him, and what I'm hoping you'll do is go out there and actually pick up your CD, even more, open up that CD, even more, listen to that CD, and be blessed by the information Jim gave us over 30 years ago as we begin to prepare to how in the world are we going to raise kids to make wise choices in the world. And what you're going to hear is this, is that our natural tendency is to be a helicopter parent, to rescue and run interference for our kids, never allowing them to experience the needed consequences they have in their lives. Or another natural tendency, this one was mine, was to be the drill sergeant, barking orders and making demands, rather than guiding a child to make up his own mind about what this situation requires. Now, consultant parents do that best. And that's a, that is a learned ability, I assure you. None of us in this room came by that naturally. I certainly didn't. But a consultant parent simply does this. It lets a child know, here's what the parent's going to do. And here are the, the choices, and sometimes allowing them to even decide what those choices are as long as they fit into the family values and the scheme of things. And then allowing them to actually experience both the blessing and the backlash that comes from those choices. Well, where'd you get this, Jimmy? Again, isn't that how God raises us? Isn't he more of the consultant parent? Sure, sometimes he rescues, sometimes he's demanding, but most of the time he waits. He offers power, he offers strength, he offers wisdom and discernment. You don't have to take it. But he allows you to make the choice on what you decide to do with your marriage and your children and your finances and allows you to experience both the backlash and, amen, the blessing that comes whenever we actually live life his way. Now, I'm going to stop here and just say this. Parents, we can do this. This is doable. You can raise your children in a Christian home. You can raise your children in such a way that they make wise choices. God would not have given you an assignment that you couldn't live up to. Is it hard? Yes. Is it possible? Absolutely yes, with his help. Now, that's kind of where we've come from so far in this series. And I'm going to move on to the very next aspect of this. And it's one I want to say right up front. You may think is optional. And if that's how you think, then I, I hope to prove you wrong. Because it's not. It may be a little bit odd but they're not optional. It's windows of joy. Windows of joy. Now what you're looking at right there is literally a four foot by eight foot window that was the centerpiece 
of our living room in that house that I showed you that we were building. Four foot by eight foot. I mean, it was huge, and it was absolutely amazing. This is the window that faced out of our kitchen. Our two teens spent a lot of time looking out that window, all right? Washing dishes and doing chores there. But what a great window to look out. And then this was another one that was in the kitchen. Again, I think that one was four foot by six feet. And right there in the lower corner, you can see kind of a table there where we ate most of our meals. What an incredible place to be able to sit down with our family day after day and enjoy meals around that table. And I want to tell you this. Those windows let the sunlight in. And that's what I want to say this morning. I promise you, joy are those windows of every Christian home. Joy. Without that, there's no way in the world that you can let the sunlight into a home. It can't just be based on responsibilities. It can't just be based on what I, I have to do and I need to do. There's got to be literally an anticipation of joy in a Christian home, an obligation of joy in a Christian home, a responsibility for every member of that home to bring joy to that home. Or I just want to say this. Don't put Jesus' name on it. Forget book, chapter, and verse. For just a moment, <laughs> take a look at creation. Just through my words, please. Feast your eyes on the joy of the Lord. Butterflies and blue bonnets. Hummingbirds, giraffes, being in love. Snow, like that picture's depicting. Echoes in a canyon, tastes of grapes, baby fawns kicking up their heels. A belly laugh that makes you cry. Ice cream, oh my, ice cream. God intended from the very beginning for life to be full of joy. And those are just the tip of the iceberg of the things that bring us joy in this world. Now, I know this. We Protestants have a very nervous relationship with joy. You ought to see some of your faces. Where's he going with this? Because I guarantee you our Puritan roots tell us there is nothing better than a two-hour sermon on the eternal torment of hell. Hallelujah. We love that stuff. But please know Scripture is full of affirmation and fun and joy. Now, I know we're, we're familiar with redemption theology. I've been talking a lot about it this year. Paradise created, paradise lost, paradise redeemed. That's kind of the whole big story of the Scripture. And it's a major voice in Scripture. But there's another voice. It's not quite as loud, but it's there. And it's the voice of creation theology. It says, even before God redeemed us, he made us. And he embedded in every single day joy. You know from Genesis chapter 1, after every single day he finishes, he says, my, that is good. Really good. In Psalms chapter 118 and verse 24, he says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, creation theology says it wasn't just those seven days that God made and said, now that's good. No, he made every single day. He created this day before you ever woke up. We, we, we think it's just part of the system, but I want you to understand, God backs off for just one moment in sustaining the system, and we don't exist. The sun stops moving. We stop orbiting around the world. Darkness again comes back into this. We're done. And so that's why the author, David, says, I'm going to tell you, God made every day good, and it is up to us to rejoice and be glad in it. He says it this way. His dad, or his son does, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. 
but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. One more verse. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Man, those verses resonate with me. And sometimes I forget they're in the Bible. They're associated with the things of God. But listen to me again. A joyful heart is good. It's good medicine. And a crushed spirit just dries up the bones. Now, I don't think there's anywhere in all of the Bible where creation theology shouts the loudest in the book of Ecclesiastes. Go. After you're done with church today, church, go eat your food with gladness. Amen? Then... Drink your wine with a joyful heart. No amen on that one? I heard a quiet one, I guarantee you. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Now that's the Hebrew way of simply saying rejoice in the Lord always. Every single day. Do you notice that's a meal that's to be eaten every single day and enjoyed every single day? Because God made every single day. Day. Hmm. When you come to the Jewish festivals, you find a lot of joy. I think it's interesting that as we raise our kids and as we teach classes among us adults, we, we really kind of don't really touch much on the festivals. And at our loss, I want to tell you we do. Because there's a whole section of our heritage where God says, I want on the calendar five times a year for you to be festive. Really? Yes. By design, when God first called his people together, he says, you know, life's tough. Following me is tough. So there's five times a year that I want you to spend some time being festive. And one of those is the celebration of the Passover. Now, I know that most of us think the celebration of the Passover is a lot like how we take communion. Wrong. We're going to be quiet. We want to be solemn. We spend a lot of time thinking about the pain and the hurt. That's not what celebration is about. And I really don't think most of our communion should be about that either. Because you know what? Jesus didn't die on the cross. He was raised by the, by the emptiness of a tomb. Thank you, angels, that got that job done. All right? And celebration was a part of the Passover meal. It wasn't just interesting foods eaten with interesting people. It was an amazing celebration of a fact. Israel was locked into perpetual slavery in Egypt. And they thought they were there forever until God came and acted. And in that action, delivered them in an amazing way, by the way, out of that bondage and took them into a land of promise, the land that we know as Canaan. And they celebrated that. And I want you to know that after even the that even the sourest of moms or dads or aunts and uncles participating in that celebration Passover meal after the fourth cup of wine, they would loosen up a little bit, all right? It was a celebration. And God intends for us to celebrate. And my favorite celebration of all the ones that he mentions as far as the festivities or the festivals is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what in the world could be more fun than camping with your entire family for two or three days? Pause for snickering. Some of you could think of a lot of things, maybe, than camping for two or three days with your family. Let me tell you what, rethink that one. For the sportsmen, we did. 
for every young family, I promise you, camping, tent camping, or any kind of camping is a demand and a challenge. But let me tell you, you get into a rhythm of how to do that, oh baby. Our favorite tent of choice was what you're seeing up on the screen. It was a 23-foot Silver Street trailer that we drove by for about two years on our way down to Alamogordo, almost every trip that we made down there. And we'd see this thing sitting there. And finally, one day, one day Gail made me pull over, made me pull over and say, let's make him an offer he can't refuse. Well, it didn't take much of an offer, all right? Because it wasn't much of a trailer, but when we got through with it, that's what it looked like. You ought to see the insides, and I didn't have time to, to go dig up pictures for it this week, but it was one of the biggest windows of our entire home building lives with our kids. Man, we took that thing everywhere. Just 20 minutes up to the road to one of our favorite spots in the National Forest. We took it down to, to Mexico to the beach. We took it over to Arizona to see spring training baseball. We took it up to the Grand Canyon. We took that thing everywhere, man, everywhere, and had an absolute blast in it. We um, would eat foods in it that we would rarely eat, if ever, back at home. We would play games in that thing that rarely, if ever, we played back at home. And you know what? We had adventures in that thing we never would have had back at home. But our favorite place to take it was Mountain Family Fellowship. For 27 years, including this year, it's about to happen, it's 27th time, Mountain Family Fellowship was our decision to say, you know what, if we show up in heaven and we didn't share the mountains of Ruidoso with other people, God is going to get on to us for this. And so we decided to create a thing called Mountain Family Fellowship. It was a worship renewal conference. People would come from all over the part of the country, up to 1,000 sometimes, on the average of about five to 600, and just get away to get in the gorgeous creation hear some great preaching, and sing some great songs. And I'm telling you, it made for a great three days. And our girls will tell you it's one of the highlight things of their being raised in our home. That right there is my youngest on the, your right, that's Tabitha, and that's her best, her BFF, Dasha. And one of the ways that they became BFFs, I guarantee you, were those three days there at the encampment. That right there is a part of Shantytown. We would have all of our meals together. Can you imagine that? Hundreds of people eating outside where it had to be cooked and served. It was an absolute blast, including green chili cheeseburgers every single night made by one of our elders, Wyatt Sparks. That was the grillmeister right there. Absolutely fun place, fun times that were looked forward to, not just by us, but by hundreds of people. Now, I mention any of that because that was our windows of joy what were yours I know in this church alone there are some people who who paddled canoes a la the rich family for their joy there's some people in our church who like to ride bikes for their joy and if you're in the Fikes family you ride those bikes off of a cliff and into a lake that's what they do for fun for some of you guys go out to the lease and go hunting I don't know what it is that you do but you got to do something that gets us out of the responsibility and just the rat race of running and going to just stop and laugh. Just stop and be. Because there's got to be some joy in a home. And I asked the girls this week, how did we do with this, honestly? And here's what they said. That of all the things that they think back to about what was Christian about our home, yes, they remembered the Bible, and yes, they remember us going to church, but what they remember most was the joy of the Lord that truly was their strength. Now, these are their words, not mine. 
singing Christmas carols when we did sticker sheets at the end of every day. Learning a rap song. This is Lauren. She said, every family's got to learn a rap song. Well, did you want me to sing ours? I know you would. Well, bang, bang, boogie. We'll up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie de bee. A skiddly bebop, a we rock, a scooby-doo. Guess what, America, we love you. I don't mean to brag and I don't mean to boast, but I like hot butter on my breakfast toast. You got to do one of those, all right? You got to have tea parties with pink milk. That was Tabitha's. You got to collect some apples and go home and make an apple pie. You got to climb the rock wall. You got to ride the zip line. You got to run through the the stores, squirting each other with squirt guns and getting the store manager to run you out of the store. You got to do that. Because they're windows of joy. Tabitha said, yes, we went to Disney World and that was fun. But she said, not the best fun. And this is a quote. She said, the best fun was more about family interaction than it was family entertainment. I mean, I was still that. She said, I knew you would. You're a preacher. Several years ago, a couple of influential books came out that talked about kids that were losing their childhood because of the pressures of growing up. David Elkin's book, The Hurried Child, Neil Postman's book, The Disappearance of Childhood, Both of those talk about how children in the past were free to simply just play and have fun, but today we want them to grow up fast and perform well. And we do, don't we? But not at the expense of joy. Can't be at the expense of joy. You see, if I am overly invested in my kids competing and accomplishing, then fun gets set aside and suddenly everything becomes significant. Every little league game is a step towards the majors. Every son who competes... And throws a touchdown pass, well, this may be the next Tom Brady or Troy Aikman. Every second grade spelling test is just a determination of getting into an elite school one day, or maybe not. I'm telling you, parents, that can be murder to place that on your child. And I'll be honest, as two high-expectation parents as Gail and I were, we had to keep a constant check on the demands we placed on our kids. Because in Scripture, there is not an expectation for titles and awards to fill a home. But there is an expectation, hear me, for joy to fill a home. This is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in that. Healthy parents know how to create relaxation and fun even in the most stressful times. So, how about a joy check? Ready? Have you laughed much this last week? Man, I hope so. Part of it, the reason why I threw in that rap song is I knew you'd laugh. We need to laugh. We need some windows that bring sunlight into our lives all the time. And, and, and coming on Sunday and hearing some, a preacher make, make a funny rap, that's not enough. You need some joy in your house almost every single day. So please... I want to encourage you, parents, as you sit down at the end of the, at the, end of the month and you're doing your, your review of your finances to see how much money's in the bank, would you do me a favor and include in that a regular time of checking to see how much joy is in the bank account of your home? And if there's not enough joy to do something about it. Take a note from our Savior. <laughs> People who are sinners in this world don't have time for party poopers. They just don't. But you know what? They loved having Jesus around. And I'm convinced it wasn't just his holiness. 
for a lot of folks out there, that just pushes them away. It had to be his joy. It had to be his fun, especially when they heard about his first miracle and what he did there. He turned water into what? Put him at the top of the guest list, all right? And you know what sinners and saints did? They wanted Jesus at their house. Let me ask you a question, Mom and Dad. Let me ask you a question. Do your kids really want you at your house? To do so, they need some joy. Not just responsibility. Not just obligations. But they need some joy. They need you to take them and lead them into joy. That's why I love Harmon Killebrew and his speech during the induction into the Baseball's Hall of Fame. He told about how his dad used to go outside and play ball with him. And all the boys around the neighborhood would come. And they would play ball right there in their front yard. And one day while they were playing, his mother hollered outside, Herb, you're killing the grass. To which he hollered back, May, we ain't raising grass, we're raising boys. Don't you love that? Mom and dad, we're not raising grass, we're raising kids to the glory of Christ. We're raising them to be joyous light into the world and hope and kindness and patience and gentleness. But joy is right there in the midst of those things that God wants to have come alive in us from the inside out. That means, Mom and Dad, your place isn't meant to be something that makes the, the pictures of better homes and gardens as much as it is a place to remind you of what a garden your home can be of joy. It's not a show place. It's a place to show off your kids about how life can be lived to the full. And this is where it would be fun to pass the microphone around. I wish I could this morning. Just stop, but we're running out of time here. And to say, okay, now how is it that you and your family experience joy? Is it hiking? Is it camping? Is it reading through Captain Underpants? Is it watching voice on television then maybe doing a little karaoke yourself? Is it riding bikes together? Now, I'm not talking about the big trips or the big money trips. Man, if you can afford those, please go. But it doesn't have to cost a lot, I learned to be remembered a lot. <laughs> Both of my girls, yesterday when I brought up things that they remember about joy in our home, they said the cream puff story. Gail had splurged and she had bought some cream puffs for the weekend and they look like little donut holes if you don't know what they are, but they're filled with cream, thus cream puffs. Well, I'd been out hunting, got back in and I saw the, the, the glass dome was out and underneath them were what I learned later was my share of cream puffs. The girls had already had theirs, but because I'd been out hunting late, they said, yours, yours is under the glass dome. Well, I had to eat my supper first, and so I did. And while I was eating supper, I heard the girls laughing. And I thought it was because of what was on TV in the other room. But then I found out when I took my first bite of the cream puff why they were laughing. There was no cream in my puff. <laughs> Those cream puff thieves had sucked it out with straws. And when I said, I thought you said that these were cream puffs or donut holes, I mean, they just died laughing. And they brought out the video of them. They have the heist on film. I mean, their incriminating evidence is there. And there they are with those, those, those uh, straws sucking out the cream. And then all of a sudden, my youngest daughter's water broke. And she wasn't even pregnant. <laughs> and it's on film. And I asked Gail to let me show it, and she wouldn't let me do it. Joy sucker. No, I'm just joking. Oh, you got to have some joy. you got to have some laughter. 
Because it's what lets the sunlight in. How do you do that? Determine. There will be joy. I promise you, my wife determined that the whole west side of our house was going to be windows. Master bedroom, huge, four by eight window. Master bath, where she had her tub right up next to it, huge window. Living room, huge window. Kitchen, huge window. Over the sink, huge window. Because the sunlight was going to get in our house. And it needs to be determined that you're going to make sure joy gets in yours. Because I want you to know, you can't have sunlight without it. You can't. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's almost commandment language. And so it's got to be something that you determine. Number two, please develop a rhythm of rest and renewal in your house. Don't take my word for it. Take God's. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You work six days and work hard. Do everything you need to do. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to God. Do not do any work on it. Not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your maid, nor your animals, nor even the foreign guest visiting your town. Yeah, right, in a dream world, maybe. I know there were Israelites who thought about that, and so here's what God said about this. Observe the Sabbath because it's holy to you, and anyone who desecrates it is to be, read it, church. That's serious. You mean I've got to develop a rest, a rhythm of rest and renewal in my heart? Along with responsibilities? Yeah. Or you will die. Well, we're not under the old law anymore. No, but your body is. And you work it seven days a week. You run it seven days a week without stopping to rest and relax. I can promise you, you won't have much joy anyway. Please, end of the month, checking how the finances are doing. Please check and see how the joy's done. And if there's not been a lot of joy, would you do yourself a favor, please? And go down here to the river. Do a little fishing, maybe even if it's with poles and some string with your kids. Or, or play in those fountains. Or build a tent in the living room and, and, and pop some popcorn and so you can catch the most in their mouth and make some s'mores. But do something if the joy account's a little bit low. You've got to plan on it. Determine there will be joy. You've got to develop a rhythm of rest and renewal. And then the last one is this. It was not coached by Doug Winters a few moments ago as he led us in prayer, but I loved it when he said it. Our greatest joy, Lord, is when we get to go home and be with you. We don't talk about that near enough. My wife reminds me often. Jim, you've got to talk about heaven more. Because that really is our ultimate house, our ultimate home. I promised you a while ago that I'd show you the final design. There it is. It's taken from a little setting across the driveway where Gail and I would sit and have lunch a lot of days of our life when we were living there. And the reason is, we bought the materials, we put our hands around some of the tools, but I promise you, God built that house. He did. And we would sit there and we would be amazed at what he had done. And we're just so overjoyed that we were given the gift to get a chance to enjoy that for a while. 
But even while we were doing that, I gotta, I gotta promise you, I don't know how many times the subject turned towards heaven and said, you know what, as nice as this house is, as much as we love this house, Jesus said, I'm coming to take you to a better place than this. Uh, can I go back? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am, that you may be also with me. We're going to sing a song, This World Is Not My Home. You know, that can be a corny song, just kind of a fun song that we sing. We, we sung it all my life, and I love it. But I hope this morning it's, it's, it's a celebration of the fact that, yes, we can have some nice houses, custom maybe even. And, yes, maybe we could even experience some, some great Christian homes. But God tries his best to say, guys, when my son comes back, He's taking you in a place that we've been preparing. And I thought about that this week because I was in my, in my <clears throat> daily readings. I read through the temple, which is not the most exciting and inspirational part, but I thought for this week maybe it was. Because I read how precise that temple was built when God gave the instructions for how it was going to build. And I read how, how much effort went into it and the precision that was a part of it. All for a house that God really didn't want in the first place. But my goodness, I kept coming back to this word gold and these jewels and how just amazing God's temple had to look like. And that's just built by a bunch of ragamuffins with some ragamuffin materials that happen to be on God's earth. What's it going to be like when we get to a place where God's preparing? I mean, God, not a human being, but God. And with the materials that he has at his disposal that, that aren't even in existence here on the earth. What's that house going to be like? I can tell you this, you don't want to miss it. Paul tries to say it this way, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind can see what God's preparing for those whom he loves. He's coming to take you home. And I want to say this, you may never enjoy a great custom house here. You may never enjoy the kind of family you hoped that you could. That's up to you in a lot of ways. It really is. But even if it's not even if life is just hard and difficult to the point that it just makes it impossible, you get to go be in the home of homes. You get to be in the very presence of God. But he's going to let you choose that too. He put his son on a cross for you. He raised him from the dead for you. He's made invitations to you. Would you like to come and be a part of my family? Because I'm building a family room you don't want to miss out on. When my son comes, he'll take you there. But you don't have to. Again, he's that consultant. Stands back and says, here's what I offer. Are you in? If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, we're going to give you a chance to do that right now. And if right now you realize you've been struggling in this Christian home building, could we put our arms around you? There's no way in the world you can build a foundation of grace in a Christian home without a people of grace. And that's what the church is, and I'm one satisfied customer. So if we can help you do that and you, you haven't been doing so well, can we wrap our arms around you and pray? And if you want to put on Jesus Christ this morning, can we, can we wrap our arms around you and usher you into the family of God?
But we're going to stand and sing this song as a celebration of praise that this world is not our home. We're going home soon. Come on, let's praise him, church.